0: And I guess the answer that I would give to that is is probably like 2 or 3 months out from when you want to peak because the the thing with the thing with intensity is that you hit the plateau much quicker than with zone 2 volume.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Matchbox podcast powered by Ignition Coach Co. I'm your host, Adam Saban, and today we're talking Grand Fondos, Masters training camps, how to execute base training without access to a bike, and when in your season should you start high-intensity interval training. Today's show is also brought to you by Flow Formulas. If you haven't yet tried any of their endurance, sports-specific, formulated nutrition products then head over to flowformulas.com today and use the discount code ignition podcast for 10% off your next order they now offer unflavored low and high sodium formulas of their high carb drink mix so you can dial in your specific electrolyte needs as always if you like what you hear please share this with your friends leave us a five-star review and if you have any questions for the show send those to info at ignitioncoachcode.com with email titled the matchbox podcast or find us on instagram and send us a direct message all right let's get into it Dude, Drew, I, I like how we, we can tell you're in Europe because you're eating the fat sandwich and drinking out of the skinny can.
2: Oh, yeah. This does look like a Red Bull can, but it's just soda. Yep. The normal soda. It just says Cola on it. <laughs> it's the Aldi just brand. Cola. Cola. They had Coca-Cola next to it, but this was half the price, that Aldi. And you know what they call carbs here? I thought this was awesome. Energy. Nice. They call carbs straight up energy, dude. That's some. That's some marketing oh, sorry, right not, there. Sorry, so, sorry, Not carbs. Calories. Uh, calories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Calories. They I've seen. Energy. I've seen that before. I've seen that before. It's. I've, I've seen it. This on is an... cool too. They call. They call. Gr- they call carbs glucides, which is like sounds like glycogen. You know, glucose. All that. Well, I I think I've seen that before on an energy drink
0: and. I mean, in a way, it's cool, but in a way, it's like they're trying to, like, somebody who doesn't know a lot about nutrition, like, they're trying to be like, oh, this doesn't have a lot of calories, but it'll give you a lot of energy. You know what I mean? Oh, trying to
3: yeah. trick you. Oh, yeah. That's
2: why it's I thinking. said it's good marketing. Mm-hmm. I think all of the European sodas use real sugar, too, not corn syrup. Yeah, a That's lot awesome. of European countries have
0: stricter laws about what can and can't go in food, uh, which I wish Dude, the, right, U- the
2: U.S. had. Right? Right on the front of not on this one, but right on the front of the packaging, it has an A through E letter score for nutrition. It's called a Nutra score. So like you're looking at all the different lunch meats and there's like B's and C's and A's, and you're like, Oh dang, this one's a C. This one costs a little more, but it's a B. And it's it's like so easy. It makes like picking up. So is it like your school foods. grading? Like A is the best? Yeah. Oh yeah. It's like awesome. It was like such a genius thing. You go down the candy aisle; it's all just E, but you know, E for energy.
0: Yeah, Yeah. interesting.
2: Um, Okay, Um, should we we dive into it? We
1: got a few listener questions we're going to get to today. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this one comes from Robert Johnson. Uh, He's asking about Masters training camps. He says, hello, I'm a 59-year-old Masters cyclist. I have been competing on the road for a long time. Next year, when I turn 60, my big goal is the Masters championship in Sweden. Now, during the, the winter, I train 10 to 12 hours per week. After Christmas, I will go to Spain for three weeks to cycle and enjoy a warmer climate. There, I will be That's able nice. to train fifteen to twenty hours per week. Should I just ride distance, or should I put in tempo, steady state, sweet spot, or VO two max? Thanks for a great podcast, Robert.
0: Um, I mean, I this is think, good, This is a good question. Yeah, this is kind of like the uh, train. Is is this the training camp question, or is this a, a different this question? The, yeah, this is the training. So, yeah, so it's kind of like, OK, I'm, you know, I'm stuck on the trainer all winter, but then I go to this place that's a warmer client and also, climate and I'm also not working. So I got a ton of time and a ton of motivation to get out and ride a lot. Um, I think that there is a danger, especially how long is this guy going to be there? Three weeks? Three weeks, yep. Yeah, that's a long time. I mean, most people, when they do this, it's like a week. And yeah, you, know, you can only get so overtrained in one week, but three weeks, I think there is a real danger of overtraining. Just like you know, you want to make the most of your trip, and you want to you want to ride a lot. Um, and you know, you can do fifteen to twenty hours per week, which is a lot more hours than you're currently doing. I would personally just do volume because I think if you try to add in intensity on top of all that riding, you're especially at your age. Um, Older you get, the slower you recover. You could you could be risking overtraining, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And, and
1: one thing that I do with my masters athletes is I, instead of putting them on a four week training cycle, I do I use a three week training cycle. So mm-hmm. two weeks on of hard training and then one week of recovery. Yeah. And what I've found is that helps them. Like most masters athletes, if they've been an athlete for a while, they they have a ton of endurance and aerobic fitness to to kind of build from but it's it's reaching those higher intensities that's more difficult. So what mm-hmm. I found is like the more recovered they are, the more frequently we're doing those recovery weeks, the more they're able to tap into that higher energy reserves um and you know we we get we see higher, you know, power numbers because of that. Um so that's yeah. what I do. So like, you know, if you're talking about I don't know what this, you know, I don't know what Robert does, Um, you know, but if you typically train two weeks on one week off and now you're trying to go three weeks of big volume, that could be problematic too. So just keep that in mind too, Robert. Um, you know, that, that three weeks is kind of pushing it for most masters athletes anyways. Um, so then to, you know, basically double your volume each week, that's, it'll be a lot, but I agree with what Dylan's saying. You know, you're going to get plenty of adaptations just from
2: increasing the volume. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I was going to bring up the two, two weeks on three weeks two versus three weeks of training. And I was even going to like, when you started talking, I was going to ask, <clears throat> would this be an exception to that? Because you are going to be in a new spot. Maybe it's warmer. You want to take advantage of that. From a coaching standpoint, I, would, I could see myself saying, yeah, maybe we'll stretch this one training block out to three weeks instead of two, but that's not going to be the norm. And maybe even the following week is going to be even lighter than a normal recovery week because you've kind of gone over the top for this training camp. So... Because I, I mean I'm like the same way. If you're gonna if you're gonna go three weeks somewhere, might as well take advantage of it and get the most out of it. I wouldn't want one of those weeks to be a rest week when I get there. Um, right. You could probably play around with it too, where maybe the I mean, the, two, it, the the two weeks on the ends bookend it bigger, and the one week in the middle is a little lighter. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also, this, this, this could
0: be. Um, or go ahead, Dylan. Well, I was also going to say like, is this a cycling specific vacation or are you going with your wife and you also want to spend some time with her? Cause you could, cause you could do two weeks of lots of training and then one week of kind of more sightseeing and, and, you know, tourism activities.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or I was even going to say like, you could try and employ like the, uh, Nils Vanderpool approach where you do like, you know, five days on and then take two days of recovery in a row. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, instead of doing like three on, one off, three on, one off kind of thing. Um, you know, and then that would give you weekends or, you know, a couple days during the week where you could go do tourist stuff or have some fun doing sure. do whatever with the family. Um, even like four days on,
0: three days off. Like, you know, you could stack a lot into those four days and get get a ton out of it. I think four days on three days off makes more sense for a master's athlete or four yeah. days, on, four days on two days off. Two days. I think going yeah. five days in a row for a master's athlete is getting a little much. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Again, like a week doesn't have like your training cycle doesn't have to fit perfectly into seven days. If it's, you know, four days on two days off and that's a cycle, you know, you don't, it doesn't have to fit into
2: seven days. You can fit it into totally six, six or eight or whatever. Yeah, Totally. The training camp thing is cool. Is like, an, um, it's a relevant question because even on the the on Texas Roadhouse. They just mentioned that they want to send a team of us out to Valley of the Sun, which is mid February, which is only like after I finish the cross season in, next week and take two weeks off. That's only going to be like three weeks of me being back into training. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I told them, or I asked, like, could I still go to Arizona um, and not race? Because I, I really don't want to do a time trial or crit, if anything, maybe the road race. But even that, like, I don't really want to go that hard three weeks in a training. Um, and they said I could. So I'm, I'm going to plan to go to Arizona for a week because all I have to pay for to get out there is, is a flight. And I'm going to probably up when are you the going? volume that week. It's like February the 15th to the 22nd, I think. It's like mm-hmm. a Wednesday to a Wednesday, which is sweet. Um, so, like, yeah, I'll just up, you know, I'm going to get a bunch of volume in that week, take advantage of the warm weather. February in Kentucky is is not great. It's like January and February are usually the worst mm-hmm. times of the year to train, and that's usually when I'm trying to get pretty good volume in. So, I mean, heck, I'm totally going to go out there and take advantage of the warm weather,
1: dude. Maybe I'll meet you down there. I've been trying to plan a
2: little winter escape, dude, man. You yeah. probably just stay with us. I think they're getting like a house <clears throat> in uh, for Tucson. All, for all of us. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think that's where the race is. It's Call only Dylan. three days of racing. Yeah, maybe I'll join as well. Dude, come. (laughs) Curtis would be cool with it. If I say, hey, I got two ignition coaches, and you guys are kind of connected to Curtis Tolson. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. We can plan (laughs) plan this out later. Let's get back to the list. See, this is the exciting thing about training camps. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not about to, but what I was going to say was, I'm not about to let my teammates talk me into going harder than I want to go. I'm going to go and ride a bunch, but I'm not going to ride hard. Okay. I've already got that like
0: plan. Yeah. Sweet.
2: Um, okay, I think think we
1: we answer that one. So let's move on to uh, Grand Fondo training specificity. So this one comes from Tom Tomlinson. He says I signed up for my first Grand Fondo in March, and I just found out the scoring is based on four nine mile segments spaced randomly throughout the course, rather than overall time is this normal for grand fondos and how would you structure your training for this kind of event versus a normal hundred mile race? What kind of intervals would you do? Um,
0: I
2: don't really, nine nine mile
0: intervals done. (laughs) I don't really, uh, I mean, I've never done a grand fondo and I've got a general idea of how they work. I mean, I've got a pretty good idea of how they work. Um, I think a lot of them do – they they have different formats, but I think a lot of them do what this guy is talking about, where it's basically like an enduro. Uh, for those who don't know what enduro mountain biking is, it's like the only timed part of the race is the downhill segments, but obviously it's on the road, and the timed se- segments are just – I don't know, maybe they're on a climb, maybe they're not on a climb, but it's it's basically like a ride, and then there's are timed sections that they're going to – yeah. Determine who the winner is, I guess. Yeah, and, and most of the
1: time they they try and avoid any kind of like long or technical downhill sections too, just for yeah, safety which makes purposes. Sense. Yeah. Yeah. So
0: you can you can bet that it's gonna be more fitness on oriented. Yeah, it's probably I bet you a large chunk of that timed section those time sections is on climbs. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> um I so wouldn't. He figure,
1: says they're, they're randomly spaced, so I think he said there is four of them. Um, okay, yeah, four nine-mile segments, so that's thirty-six miles out of a hundred-mile race is going to be
0: timed at gotcha. random intervals. Interesting. Okay. Um, I would I would figure out whether these are uphill segments or flat segments. Maybe it's a combination of the two because I think that's important. But um, I mean, you could I, I think that training for this wouldn't be that dissimilar from training for a long road race because even though the entire thing is timed in a road race, a a road race effort could actually be similar to this in that of, you know, a vast majority of the race, you're kind of just cruising, you're not on the gas and then you're on the gas really hard when you need to be like going up a, you know, a final climb or trying to make the break or whatever. Um, so even, even though in a road race, the whole thing is timed and the person to cross the finish line with the shortest amount of time at the end is the winner versus this is like four separate time trials over the course of one ride, the effort may not actually be that different. Um, so how do you train for that? I mean, when I design race-specific efforts for a race like this, I usually combine a long ride and intervals into one ride. And a lot of times I'll do... A chunk of the intervals at the beginning of the ride, ride at endurance pace for a while, and then do a chunk of the intervals at the end of the ride. Um, And and long long ride is all relative. Like it's relative to your fitness level. So for some people, two hours is a long ride. For some people, seven hours is a long ride. Um, You kind of you know you kind of determine what your weekly hours are. And this is going to be a hundred mile race, so we're talking about what a you know five to. Five six hour day probably. Um, so, I mean you you may want to do a four to five hour ride where you've got got some you know threshold intervals at the beginning and some threshold intervals at the end, or maybe even maybe even mix up the intensity a little bit, like VO two max intervals at the be- beginning, threshold intervals at the end, that sort of thing. Yeah. What do you so, think about
2: this workout? <clears throat> I did this Let's a hear. couple times last year in preparation for pro road nats, which is similar. It was like we were chilling. <clears throat> For seven miles and going really hard for one mile. So, but the one or the one or two miles that we were going really hard was all uphill. So it was probably like a seven minute effort or something like that. I was doing, I did this, there's a 20 mile loop or a 20 minute loop by my house and I was doing it and it, and it has a, an uphill across and then a downhill and the uphill is roughly five minutes. And so I'd go VO2 up the uphill and tempo the whole way, like a low tempo. So like I think I was at like 80% of FTP for the whole rest of it, except for the downhill, I'd recover. So like three minutes of recovery. And I did that for like four hours straight. So it was mm-hmm. like, it's kind of like, you know, we always, always talk about like that sweet spot. It was kind of like a sweet spot, but with VO2 sprinkled in. And I was trying to replicate... Yeah that kind of effort where I, well, it's that's below sweet spot though. I mean if you're doing 80%
1: of
0: ftp I mean that's below sweet spot but that's pretty gnarly. Yeah. It sounds like I, a, I mean that's a very race that's a very race specific workout. Um I don't know if it's uh very specific to what this guy is doing cuz he doesn't need to ride hard in between these time sections at all. Um and in fact the advice I would give for race day to this guy is Obviously, the hard sections, you got to ride them as hard as you can, but anywhere in between, try to save as much energy as you possibly can, you know?
1: Yeah, with with the caveat that if there are timed sections that aren't just straight uphill, then drafting will be, you know, beneficial. So True. being with a faster group on some of those sections might be beneficial. But if you know you're getting to an uphill section, then yeah, I would go super easy. Mm-hmm.
2: Well, the reason I was doing tempo in between was because I was, I don't know, the, the whole workout is one of my favorite workouts that I did last year. I just felt like it was like one of the biggest fitness gaining workouts that I did all year. I just felt like it was like made a huge jump in fitness from that one workout, but same yeah, thing. I mean, though, it's like very, that- it's very specific to the race that you were training for, you know? Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think it's like if your, if your goal was to raise your power at VO two max, I don't think it's the best workout for that because you're effectively, you know, um, decreasing the, uh, the quality of your VO two max part of that workout. Um, I would say just, just, you know, recovery pace in between VO two max intervals would be the best for that. But what you were training for, which was pro road nationals, that's a very race specific workout, you know. Yeah. So 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 let,
1: you know, last thing here, so you know, he's doing 9-mile segments. So let's say that's anywhere from 25 to 35 minutes probably, depending on, you know, grade and stuff. Um so he's probably going to be riding those at like low threshold, high tempo mm-hmm. kind of effort. So do you think he should focus on like with that, with those big long efforts, you know, or even, even just some of his intervals leading up to it, um, which energy system you think, I mean, he's only got, he's got two months basically to, to train for it. Which energy system do you think would be most beneficial to kind of beef up before then?
0: Yeah. He probably needs to focus on threshold. Uh, I assume that most of those efforts are going to be at threshold. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit lower than threshold. So maybe if you want to focus on threshold. Efforts at threshold and efforts at
2: uh, sweet spot. For nine, oh, I'm thinking nine minute. He said nine mile.
0: Yeah. Nine, nine mile. Uh, mm, so
2: That's, that's interesting roughly, that they're all exactly
0: nine miles. So it's going to be about 30, 30 minutes. Yeah. 30 well, 20. if it's on a climb, it could be
2: longer than 30. could minutes. be longer. Yeah. Yeah, that does change things. Yeah. Maybe some over unders. Okay. Some what? Over unders? That's always like a part of my threshold training. Yeah. I mean,
1: mm-hmm. that could be good, just like preparation for if you don't. Recognize surges and stuff in the group, mm-hmm. yeah. Because you you might not be able to keep it super steady, constant power throughout the whole climber segment or whatever. Especially if they're rollers. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay, so moving on. Uh, let's see. This one I think comes from uh, Drew. You said this is one of your athletes with the uh, Chad Mick only. Yep. So Chad M. I, what's his last name? Mick Conley. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Um, how do I improve my weakness? while also staying on a periodized, periodized training training plan, especially if my weakness is high-intensity efforts.
0: How early should I start those high-intensity efforts? Okay, so by high-intensity efforts, is he talking about efforts above VO2 max or VO2 max and
2: above? So this was pretty specific to cyclocross. That's his, his main thing. And in spe- specific to cyclocross, he said every time he had to get off and run, it was like his heart rate spiked. But he also said... Anytime there's like a steep hill, like he used the example of that jingle cross, you've got crumpet, um, and then you've also got a big climb. And on both of those efforts, every lap, he just felt like he couldn't recover from those efforts and jingle cross gotcha. was in October. So to, to, to train that all I'm thinking is, well, we probably need to put more real high intensity efforts like that in your training But usually, I don't do really high-intensity efforts like that until later in a periodized training plan. So me and him were going back and forth on what's the best way to attack that. And I was like, maybe we should talk about it on here. Sweet. Cool.
0: Well, so what I'll say is that I I did a video last year about around this time about maintenance intensity in the off-season and the base season. And so I guess there's two schools of thought here. One is that you don't do any intensity above threshold for the entire off season and the entire base season. And then like the first time you're going over threshold is, you know, your first VO two max workout or whatever during build. Um, uh, and you know, that's the, there are people that do that. And then they're the second school of thought is like, well, I, I don't think we should go that long without doing any intensity. So like, let's, let's sprinkle in some maintenance intensity and you know, maybe do a VO two max session every two to three weeks throughout the off season, throughout the base season, um, and then I guess there are people that just do VO two max and above intervals all year long. There's certainly people like that too. <laughs> um, but so there was actually a study that investigated that, and and they came to the conclusion that the riders who did. this maintenance intensity protocol had greater fitness when they started their build training, which is like, duh, because they've been maintaining. But what was interesting was that they had greater fitness at the start of the race season, which was like three months later um, or something like that. I may be butchering the time a little bit, but that's the general, that's the general gist of the study. Um, And their conclusion was that, was that, you know, in order to be fitter for race season, you should do maintenance intensity year round. Um, so I I think that what's important to understand here is maintenance intensity does not mean that that is the focus of your training during that period. It means you're literally, you literally might be doing one or maybe two VO2 max sessions in an entire like base training month, you know, it's it. And these sessions aren't, to failure. They're not, they're not like, I'm completely wiped from doing that, that, uh, you know, four by four minute or five by four minute VO two max interval session. Like you, if you typically do five by four minute VO two max, maybe you do three by uh, four minute VO two max. It's literally just for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I actually, you know, since doing that research, in my own training, I do a little bit of maintenance intensity, and in the people that I'm coaching, I generally do a little bit of maintenance intensity too. So, going back to this guy's questions, question: How soon should you start doing intensity? I think you should do a little bit of maintenance intensity year round. Um, but I guess, I guess, then the question becomes: Okay, well, when does that become the focus of your training? And I guess the answer that I would give to that is is probably like two or three months out from when you want to peak because the, the thing with the thing with intensity is that you hit the plateau much quicker than with, you know, zone two volume. Um, and I I've seen it so many times, both with myself and both with other people, uh, like people get so gung ho to get in the best shape ever in January. And they get and they're doing all these intervals and stuff, and they get to the best shape ever by March, and then the rest of the year they're useless. You know what yeah. I mean? So, yeah. so you can really, you can really start too soon. That, that's a hundred percent a thing. And that's yeah, totally. And I, like I think part work- of the problem around. is is some of those people they they don't
1: recognize it and and go back into base training like they try and keep training thinking that like doing more training on top of what they've already done is going to somehow pull them out of it. But it's like the opposite. Like, you know, like for this guy, like, like I always think people who race cyclocross are a very interesting, specific case, because if they just race cyclocross, that's their main focus. You can sort of have them do like two, two like um, macro cycles throughout the year where you're doing like a base, maybe a VO two max build, and then going back into base again and then building towards cyclocross. So you kind of get that early season fitness bump, but then you're going back to base training. And then maybe in July, you kind of start up again, ramping into cross season or maybe August, depending on where in the cross season they're trying to kind of reach their peak fitness. Um, But they can do that because like one, the, the season is short and the races are short. So they're like super high intensity efforts And the season is pretty compact, you know, it's two to three months long usually. And a lot of times, like, the races that they might do throughout the spring and summer are pretty low focus. So, like, they don't really care what kind of fitness they have. They're just doing it for fun or to build fitness. So, they're kind of interesting that you can sort of do, you know, multiple macro cycles like that versus going through a traditional annual periodized plan where you're just doing base build peak Throughout the whole season, that can get kind of monotonous for someone who's not focused on racing throughout the summertime. Sure. Yeah.
0: I remember when the pandemic happened, people were asking me, like, all my races got canceled. So what should I do for my training now? Uh, Should I just do base training, you know, continuously until racing comes back? And my answer was no, you should still go through a periodization cycle. Um, even if you're not racing and I bet you'll, and my guess is that you're going to be stronger in the future because of that, because it, you know, uh, part of it is this maintenance intensity that I was talking about. And, th- and then I think part of it is just that if all you're doing is, is zone two work, like you were alluding to Adam, it kind of becomes monotonous at a point.
2: Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of times what I'll do in my base training, cause base is like the biggest, longest part of, a, a typical person's training macro cycle um, is I'll mix in these high intensity efforts with the main focus of like a base one or a base two where, you know, like the main focus would be tempo and endurance uh, but to like not just go and do two hours of tempo, I'll I'll break it up into 15 or 20 minute efforts, but with sprints every three minutes. That's like one of my favorite workouts is, a 15 minute tempo interval, but every three minutes you do a 10 second all out sprint. So you kind of get the main focus of tempo and you also get some of these high intensity efforts, like maintenance efforts kind of sprinkled in there. And then it makes the tempo not so just long and boring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I would say for like, uh, for Chad here too, you know, kind of specific to cyclocross, especially specific to a race like Jingle Cross, which hopefully will come back in the future. Um, You know, you've got like a, I don't know, Drew, what is it? Like 45 second hill that you climb up, that you run up? Yeah, running.
2: Yeah, crumpet. Yeah. yeah. It's probably like a 30 second run.
1: You know, so a lot of people, what they'll do, and I'm sure Drew, you're not having him do this, but a lot of people who are training for cyclocross, like they'll just go out and go for like a 20 minute run. And that's, they're like cross training, like, oh, I got to get into running shape. It's like, you don't need to be good at running like a 5k, Like, that's not what we're trying to do for cyclocross-specific running training. Like, you need to get good at, like, powerful running strides, especially, like, with your bike. Um, Not saying you, like, have to go do hill repeats with your bike all the time, but it's probably good practice. Um, Having that extra 20 pounds on your back makes a big difference. And technique and everything and form, you know, while you're running with that bike makes makes a difference. So, like, don't let crumpet be the first time you're exposed to high-intensity hill repeats with a bike,
0: you know, like make sure you sprinkle that into your training beforehand. I I haven't coached a cyclocross racer in quite a while, but uh, back when I was coaching cyclocross racers, one workout that I would throw in is it's kind of like 30 thirties, but I would have them do it on a grass hill that takes roughly 30 seconds to climb. And I would have them do 30 seconds all out on the bike, turn around, ride down the hill, And then when they get to the bottom, get off their bike and run up the hill, get to the top, get back on their bike, ride down, then ride up. So you're alternating between riding up and running up. Yep. Yeah. I've got the same, same
1: workout in my, uh, in my library that I use for my cyclocross athletes. And it's great. Mm -hmm. When I was younger, Uh, a lot of people love to like practice running barriers, which like, sure. That's, it's good Like it's good to practice, like getting on and off your bike and stuff, and like you know, I guess running over barriers. But like you're going to get way more out of something like this, where you're like actually having to, you know, do a high intensity effort.
3: Yeah.
2: When I was younger and didn't realize how expensive cycling shoes were, (laughs) I would uh, on every climb around my house when I would go out and just kind of before I probably did like periodized training as well. I would go out and just do these long rides where I would just hill jack every 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 hill. And sometimes during the cross season, I would just get off and, and start running up the random paved hill. Like, I'd go hard for a minute and then get off and run really hard for 15 seconds and jump back on and do a full cross remount and back to climbing. And I'd do that, like, five times up on every pavement. hill. On pavement? On pavement, yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, okay. <laughs> wow. Take precaution if you,
1: if you employ that one, I guess. Yeah, I don't recommend that. Just do it on grass. <laughs> um, okay, so last one here for this episode so this one comes from nick uh he says due to circumstances i i will be traveling around the globe without a bike for a significant amount of time i'll probably get back to steady riding during mid spring or early summer it's the base season now and i have a lot of opportunity to run i also like running so what is your advice for staying in shape or getting into shape keeping in mind that bike racing is my priority Is getting into the gym plus a lot of long, slow running,
2: thinking two to four hours a good strategy? Bro, this is a good question. I've been been thinking about this because related to his question, uh, last year I was training for a 50K run. So I was doing, at this time last year, or roughly this time, in January and February of of last year, it is January, I was thinking it was December, I was doing Mm -hmm. intervals running. I wasn't doing, all I was doing on my bike was endurance miles. And then everything I was doing running was like really high intensity and I was doing the gym. So I'm, I'm wondering like the basic, so this is another question in his question, um, but I wonder if there's something to doing really hard running intervals during the base season, because that's when we do our really hard lifting and like lifting sessions. Um, so I wonder if there's something to that, like doing really hard running workouts when your intensity on the bike is really low. And then once, and then, you know, and then slowly, eventually I just stopped, like after that 50 K I stopped running, but you'd think like, Oh, that's terrible. Cause then you're doing way too much high intensity in January, February. But last year I had like the best crit season road season that I've ever had from that training approach. So I'm like, I would, I would advise
0: against advising cyclists to do hard running intervals. I think that's a bad idea i, I, like that's a, like I that. think that is a that's a good way to because if you tell like a cyclist who hardly runs like they only run in the off season you're you're different because you run more often and you are training for a running race um but if you tell a cyclist who does cycling races who runs occasionally to do high intensity intervals running that's like asking for knee problems or shin splints or
2: whatever fair enough
0: have you ever done a track
2: workout like a workout on a
0: high school Dude, I track? Used to, like It's Yeah, I used to I used to run track and cross country
2: in high school. I never did until last winter and yeah. uh it's like doing workouts I'd only ever my experience with intervals had only ever been on the bike. So to do intervals on a track running was like this whole new experience that I was like, "Dang, this is fun like this sucks in a whole new way." And it was exciting. <laughs> Maybe that was a part of it, but I yeah. loved it. I was actually like, I'm thinking like right now, like, should I, I don't think runner. I'm going to do that. I don't think I'm going to do, Oh, I've thought that so much, but I don't think <laughs> I'm going to do the, I don't think I'm going to do the double this year, unfortunately. Cause I want to, yeah. I want to really beat Dylan in the bike race. Mm-hmm. Um, I <laughs> have an excuse for him beating me, you know, like running a 50 K the day before it'd be sweet if I could run a 50 K and still beat Dylan, but that's probably not going to happen. So I'm not going to do the run, but I'm I'm thinking like how much running should I should I just still train as if I was going to do a 50k? Because yeah, you definitely. Like, I'm should. thinking I'm thinking <laughs> like should I try to do a like a I've always wanted to do a sub three marathon. Should I just do that? I, as I part think of what my you should do. Training?
0: I think what you should do in preparation for Mid South is
2: not touch your bike at all. Just run. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, Like last year, I did a whole video on my training for the Mid-South last year on YouTube. But a part of like what the big benefit of training for that race did for me was it increased my overall volume. And if you looked at my cycling volume, it it decreased. But my overall training volume increased by like 15% or something last January and February. Because I was running so much. I was going out and doing like two-hour runs, which is like insane. A two-hour run is not... I would never advise a cyclist to go longer than an hour running, probably.
0: Yeah, I mean
1: maybe it might be different here for Nick, because he's Yeah, let's get back let's get back
0: to the we we went off on some serious tangents there. Let's get back to (laughs) Nick's.
2: We're talking about Yeah, let's get back to it. Yeah.
1: So so again, so due to circumstances, he's gonna be traveling and he won't be able to bring a bike with him. So the only thing that he can bring with him is running shoes for for basically the whole base
0: period. Yeah. Um, do it, man. Do some so, track workouts. So I, w- what I was going to say is that I've, I've done a video on cross training and ha- I think I've talked about it on this podcast before. Actually running has quite a bit of crossover with cycling and there's been quite a few studies on it, uh, specifically on triathletes. Uh, it turns out running and cycling have a quite a bit more crossover than swimming does with either one of those two, which is good news because you're, you're going to be running. You're not going to be swimming. Um, if you could do any sport uh, to prepare for cycling that wasn't cycling, the best one to pick would be cross-country skiing. Um, seems like it has the most crossover. But if you can't take a bike, I'm assuming you can't take skis either. So my, my you you mentioned gym workout in there, and you mentioned running. I think that you can you can do a lot with those two, in my opinion. Uh, and I would focus mostly on long, slow distance. Um, it's the base season, get in volume, um, obviously not the same volume you would do as if you, you know, you were riding your bike, um, because you can't really do the same volume of running just in general without injuring yourself, at least most people. Um, and then get in your gym workouts that you'd be getting in during base season as well. Um, I mean, it's not, it's not as optimal as if you were riding your bike all winter, but I think you can do a lot with that. Um, and I think you're going to be in pretty decent shape. When, what would you summer? like? What would
1: you recommend if if an athlete normally does, you know, we'll call it ten to make it even. If they mm-hmm. if they normally do ten hours a week, how would you translate that into what type of running volume they should do? <sighs>
0: yeah, I mean, I mean, you probably cut that in half. I'd say, um, that's what yeah, I was say, yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, and and also, so this didn't this guy mention that he was going to go up to like 4 or 5 hour runs or did I miss here though he
1: said he, said, he said um thinking 2 to 4 hours for like his okay. you know, building up his yeah. longer
0: sessions Yeah I mean that's decent the I the other thing you got to be careful with with running is is overuse injuries and overtraining um I mean I I talk about overtraining a lot with cycling but it is a lot easier to do with running a lot easier to do so you know, I, I would just be cautious about thinking, oh man, I need to put, it's the base season. I need to put in a ton of volume running, um, work up to it slowly. And if you start to get nagging pains, listen to your body and, and take a break. Yeah.
2: If I were, if I were coaching Nick, I would do, I would still have him do like one hard run a week. Cause I think doing like like I ju- you guys just heard me talk about it, but I think it's fun to do hard running workouts, maybe yeah. not like sprints on the track, but, but some kind of structured, like fart lick, like we need cool cycling workouts that are called fart licks. Um, cause that's just a cool word for a workout. Um, but, and I probably wouldn't have him do longer than two hours. Cause I think, yeah, if you go over two hours running, I feel like you're, you're really going to be pushing the limit on on an injury an overuse injury just cuz it is so much rougher but even if you Yeah, I mean unless up, unless you know I mean just, may,
1: maybe he's doing like a you know 3 or 4 hour trail run which like a lot of yeah, not so bad, time for uh, Yeah, the trail run is like there's like hiking
0: involved and
1: sure. scrambling <laughs> and stuff like
0: that a, a th- like if it's a 3 to 4 hour trail run at endurance pace like if you're if you're a proficient runner that's that's not a huge deal yeah Um, we also don't know this guy's running history we don't know like if this guy has been running since he was 15 years old and you know ran you know cross-country in college or something or if he's like literally just a cyclist and he's like well i can't ride my bike so i guess i'll run now yeah i mean he says he likes running but he
1: doesn't give any any running history I'm guessing if he's planning on building up two to four hour runs, he kind of knows what that feels like. If not, okay. uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Nick, then you're in for a rude awakening because a two to four hour run can be <laughs> pretty gnarly. You guys ran?
2: I had never run for two hours until last year, and it's like a whole nother experience. Like, yeah, it's not, it's not even close I trained for to a marathon
1: like, like five, no, it was maybe like seven years ago or something like that. And the longest run I got up to was. Uh, eighteen miles. Did you? you run, ran a did marathon. you actually run the marathon? No. What?
0: We we, we <laughs> Why not? Uh, Why not? A-
1: Allie ended up like getting in, uh, injured or sick or something like that, mm-hmm. so we we didn't end
2: up getting to do the marathon. Yeah,
0: yeah but,
2: I gotcha. Well, one thing that that runners do that that a lot of cyclists don't do is they do the, the two a day. Um, two a days. I was where gonna, they yeah yeah they run yeah. Uh, if you if you read about any top runner specifically marathon most runners. most endurance sports for that matter other than cycling yeah, yeah.
0: due to that yeah, good point but yeah. um I mean, Dylan you've talked about
1: the, that you you've you've done yeah. videos on it or whatever I mean part of it is like cycling is one of the unique sports where you can do 5 plus hour sessions yeah. without
0: risking injury I, or anything I think there's really I think there's really two aspects to why elite level cyclists do one a day generally and all other endurance sports do two a day The first is that you can ride for five hours on your bike uh, pretty regularly without injuring yourself, unlike most other endurance sports. And the second factor is that a lot of you know, like road racing, the races are five hours, so you need to be used to racing for that long. Sure. Uh, Whereas you know, I mean, marathon a marathon run, which is considered a really long running race takes, takes mm-hmm. elite level runners two to two and a half hours, you know, in, in bike racing, that's a f- relatively short race. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, in exactly to that point, if you, if you track, uh, like elite level ultra runners who are running, you know, 50 to 300 mile races, most of them actually do their do long single sessions, not mm-hmm. two a days. It really is like a marathon and below that that you see the the two a days being super prominent. And it's for that you know for that second reason there.
0: Yeah, and this isn't an, so. This is this is kind of getting off topic, but um, you know, polarized training is sometimes called uh 20 uh, training. You know, eighty percent of your of your training sessions are low intensity, twenty percent are high intensity, and so polarized by my boy
2: Fitzgerald. What? no dude polarized but his whole his whole co- his whole coaching now his whole coaching philosophy is called 80 20 running does doesn't he have a book on it yeah 80 yeah, 20
0: yeah so <laughs> polarized and 80 20 are kind of like interchangeable terms right um so when you think about 80 20 you're like okay if 80% of sessions are low intensity 20% are high intensity that means I'm only doing two high intensity sessions every 10 days not every seven days, every 10 days. But wh- I think what you got to realize is that most elite level endurance athletes are doing probably 10 sessions in one week, right. uh, not every 10 days, whereas cyclists are a little bit different. Um, and so they will probably be doing two high intensity sessions in one week, uh, even though they had 10 sessions in that week, versus versus a cyclist might only have six training sessions in one week but they've got two you know two high intensity workouts in there i would still consider that 80 20 even though you know two out of six sessions it's not doesn't on paper sound like it's 80% 20% if that makes right. sense yeah that's a really good point um, so, Sweet.
1: so basically Nick, if you're interested in running all base season, reach out to drew and maybe he'll coach you through it.
0: I, I think that uh, last point, I think that last point was actually good though. Uh, if you want to up the volume, you may want to consider doing two a days as opposed to doing one super long session.
2: If you're going to be running. what I was saying that's what, <laughs> that's what I was trying to get at was two a days can open up the door for a little bit more volume. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'm going to implement this year. I'm going to start implementing the two a days every, every morning I'm in a row for 30 minutes. I do I do, do two a days all the time throughout the winter yeah. the base season. I think when you have a kid, the two a day becomes like way more practical. Mm-hmm. Uh, like there's so many days where like I could get, I couldn't get a four hour ride in, but I could do two hours before the kid wakes up and two hours during her nap time. Yeah. And get yeah. somewhere between three and four hours of riding or training, you know? sure yeah yeah
1: I mean, like i'll i do it a lot when i'm cross like when i'm mixing multiple uh, modalities into my base training so like like yesterday i did 90 minutes on the trainer in the morning and i was gonna do two hours of uh like basically cross-country skiing in the afternoon but we didn't end up getting snow that we thought we were gonna get it, it's coming mm-hmm. down now so um instead i just rode for two hours in the afternoon too and that it worked mm-hmm. out fine gosh gotcha.
2: dang somebody's putting in the time all right <laughs> New year, new me, man. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Well, on that note,
1: hire a coach. Someone, someone's someone got to be, be, be Dylan at Mid-South. <laughs> Bro, it's not gonna be be you. Dude, are you going to be at Mid-South? No, no, I'm, not, I'm actually no, not going to Mid-South. No.
0: Oh, okay. no. right. I've never done it. I'm sure yeah, it would be fun. I really hope it's not muddy. I have a single speed that you could use if it is muddy. Yeah um maybe if it's muddy
2: i just won't do it i'll just be at the booth
0: (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) hey that'd be cool i think the main reason i'm going is for the for the ignition booth by the way if you're listening to this podcast you need to be at the mid-south we're gonna have a booth in the expo so come say hi get some free swag get your listener questions answered on the spot (laughs) yeah yeah by you should do that you should do like a one-hour q a session yeah, we could do that. Hey, I'm, I, we need to we need to milk that ten by ten spot as much as we can. Q and As, come get your picture. Just with Dylan. build it like thirty feet high.
1: <laughs> that would <laughs> Maximize be <cool>. your volume.
2: <laughs> we'll just make like a <laughs> disco party in our ten <laughs> by ten. <laughs> it's gonna be sweet, sweet. Well, I think that's
1: a show. Awesome. All right, folks. Thanks for tuning in for the latest episode of the Matchbox Podcast. Like I said at the beginning, you can send any questions or topic suggestions to info at ignitioncoachco.com with email titled The Matchbox Podcast. Links to each of our social media pages can be found in the show notes. Tune in next week for another endurance training-related discussion and learn about how you can find that extra match for your next big event. Catch y'all soon. Let's go!
2: I've never driven a rally car before, but I'd imagine there are a lot of similarities between racing rally cars and racing bikes. Both involve speed, skill, and suspense. But one big difference is the navigator. The navigator's job is to communicate with the driver what turns are coming up, the severity of those turns, and any obstacles to look out for on course. With the help of the navigator, the driver goes faster. As athletes, we too need a navigator. This is where the coach comes into the picture. Like the navigator, the coach helps guide the athlete along the right path. When it's all said and done, the coach helps the athlete go faster. To take the analogy one step further, I'd bet the best navigators are those who used to drive themselves. Because of their own experience behind the wheel, they're better equipped to help the driver. This is what Ignition Coach Co. is all about. All of our coaches are elite level racers, and that makes them better coaches. They know how to train, how to prep, how to win, how to lose, and how to stay focused through it all because they are in the midst of that pursuit right now. Here at Ignition Coach Co., we believe that coaching and racing go hand in hand, and it's our goal to fuse those two things together. We'd love to connect you with one of our coaches. Sign up for a free consultation today, Ignition Coach Co., Developing Coaches, Connecting Athletes.